listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. All right, all right, hey. I uh, want to say good morning to those of you that are watching online right now. If you're in our 1030 uh, acoustic service here in the venue right now, um, good morning. I was listening to them practice this morning, and holy cow, they sounded so good. Uh, good morning to Old Town. What's up, guys? There, Pastor Dwayne and that crew, and then Pastor Dave up in uh, Marin County in Nevada at our campus there. Good morning to you guys. Everyone in the room wants to welcome all of you too, right, you guys? Yeah. Okay. So. It's been uh, really fun to watch how we can be one church in many places. You know, I don't know if you know this, but, um, you know, we've been collecting uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes and uh, at all the different campuses. But our Novato campus is, um, they haven't had their grand opening yet. Like, the pu- they haven't done, like, a public thing yet. It's just a, a handful of believer, faithful believers there today. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but during their, when they did Trunk or Treat, they, they were handing out Chris- Operation Christmas Child boxes to people in the community to do them. And then they did them. And that little handful of be- believers brought back 150. 15 boxes, shoe boxes. It's awesome. It's an awesome thing. So props to you guys. It's just, you know, I've, we don't always get to all experience each other, um, but I, I do. And it's kind of fun to see in the different uh, styles of worship and how it works where you might be in this room and it's big and loud and, and you know, you're experiencing the lights and the fog and all that. And then you go into the 1030 service in the venue and Cameron and his crew have got like kind of an all sons and daughters kind of uh, acoustic-y vibe that's just beautiful and reverent. And then you go to our campus in Novato. You may not know this. Um, the woman that leads worship in Novato, she is one of the best piano players I've ever seen in my life. And she's hard of hearing. And she can't even hear what she plays. And she slays. And then she always like, when, you know, she'll say, I can't wait to hear what I sound like in heaven. And I'm like, oh. It's beautiful. It's, it, it's incredible. And then Pastor Dave at um, Old Town. It's just neat to see the different ways we worship, but it's the same Jesus. Amen? Amen. Oh, I forgot about the gospel hour at 9 o'clock because they're like, ding, 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 ding. you know, they've got their thing going. So I, I want to encourage you, though, this week, it's Thanksgiving week coming up, right? Um, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to release something online as a church, and it's that interview I did with uh, Jay Warner Wallace, and if you don't remember who he is, he was here, he uh, was a 30-year cold case detective uh, for LAPD, and um, he used, he, he wrote a whole book called Cold Case Christianity, and he's known as one of the best Christian apologists in the world. Everyone goes to him, he's been in a couple movies now and whatnot, uh, because he, what he did is he took, like, the skills of a cold case detective and he applied them to um, the New Testament and, and, and outside of New Testament history and applied it to the life of Christ. And he presents this incredible um, just picture of who Jesus is and how he had to be who he said he was. So I encourage you, watch it online. But here's, what I, here's a way for you to be the church, all of us. When you see it pop up on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever, share it. Share it. And you never know who in your friend net- network, who may be skeptical or whatever, they stumble across it because you shared it and it could change their life with the gospel. So I encourage you to do that. Amen? Amen. 
So I have a friend. We've been doing this series about telling our story. And uh, people on all of our campuses have been learning to tell their story. People on our online campus are messaging me about how they got to tell their story. And um, this last week I walked into our um, AMP classes, a men's discipleship class. And there's 30 men all practicing telling their story in 15 seconds or less. And it was really powerful. It was so, it was so cool to watch them do that. And I've seen our, our students doing it everywhere. It's going on. So people have been telling their stories and then we're encouraging you, whenever you are able to have a spiritual conversation like that, where you could tell your story in 15 seconds, five minutes, 30 minutes, it doesn't matter, that you take the Clovisil of the app and there's, a, there's a, a button on the app that you can just record like, hey, I had a spiritual conversation today. And um, we're just trying to see, and what we've seen is that hundreds of you have been doing it. And it's been a beautiful thing, people out being the church. Well, I want to invite a friend up in a moment, and he's going to tell his story because he has a powerful story. And um, the reason I want him to, to tell it is uh, Pastor Todd Harris, one of our pastors here on staff, um, he's a recovery pastor. He introduced me to him, and um, they're going to be doing a addiction workshop on December 4th. That's a Saturday. If you're interested in coming and hearing about it, learning more about addiction, maybe um, you're not addicted to anything, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, you're just going to be coming out of Thanksgiving as well, too. And you're going to be around all the other addicts in your families. And you want to learn more about addiction. They're, they have just some incredible insight for you on it. And he has such a great story about how God kind of scooped him out from the ashes and made this beautiful life out of him. And I wanted him to take about five minutes and share his story. So would you give a Clovis Hills welcome for uh, Michael Pritchard? Come on up, man. Good morning, church. Thank you for giving me a few minutes to um, share my testimony with you. So if somebody would have told me 16 years ago that I would be in front of a church giving my testimony, I wouldn't have believed it. Nobody would have believed it. In fact, um, two years before I got clean and sober, um, I found out that my mom had been planning my funeral and I didn't know that. I had been um, addicted to drugs and alcohol for 20 years. Uh, I had been in more car accidents that I shouldn't have walked away from than I can count. I had had drug overdoses and my, my mental health had deteriorated to the point that um, Parole wanted to put me in a state hospital rather than prison because they didn't think that I was fit for prison. But my life didn't start out that way. It became that way. When I was six years old, my father, who was an alcoholic and had mental health issues, was shot and killed here in Fresno County. And obviously, that had a devastating impact on my life. Um, but two years following his death, I also had a, a series of sexual abuse issues happen to me that I didn't tell any about, anybody about. I didn't feel that I had a safe space to actually talk to anybody about that. And so I carried, carried this with me. And basically, um, you know, I was labeled a problem kid because I acted out and I didn't get along with my peers and, and I didn't get along with adults. And so I started hanging out with other kids. Most of them were older and I was introduced to drugs and alcohol. So at the age of, of 10 years old, I was already a half a pack a day smoker. By 12 years old, I was already alcoholic. By 14 years old, I was using meth and pills and continuing to drink. And at uh, 15 years old, I was diagnosed with a mental health condition and I was placed in a hospital for that. But I didn't want to take my medication and so I kept using drugs and at 16 years old I had an overdose on methamphetamine that my mom had to rush me to the hospital for. 
So at 17 years old, um, I was put in my first rehab. I was fully addicted to opioids and alcohol at that point. I had to go through detox. 18 years old, I was in my second rehab because I didn't stay clean and sober. Um, well, I did get clean and sober at the age of, 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 I think, I was just 19 years old, actually. Um, and I had a son. And I didn't want history to repeat itself, so I decided I w would take my medication. But I was a really, really unhappy, sober person. And I was on a lot of psychiatric meds. I didn't want history to repeat itself with my son. But me and his mother split up, and um, I went off the deep end for like seven years. And I ended up in uh, our local psychiatric facilities. I, I ended up in, in jail multiple times. I ended up in, in prison twice. And um, in my last term in prison, my family had completely written me off. Um, they, they couldn't handle me anymore, but God had been chasing me my whole life. I, I, I grew up in church, and God had, had, had really, um, you know, tried to send people into my life at different points in time. And what I know now that I didn't know then is that when God calls you, you come. When God calls you, you come because it's a divine appointment. So I got checkmated in, um, in Soledad State Prison, and I was in a really desperate spot, and I cried out to God, and I surrendered, and he healed me in Soledad State Prison in 2006. I went, I went in to prison in the worst state I've ever been in and came out eight months later completely well to the utter shock of everybody around me. So, so I, I, I come out of prison and um, I like, I love Jesus, right? I want to go into ministry. And God's like, nope, I got something else for you to do. So I go to school and um, I, I get my graduate degree in addiction studies and God elevates me in the community to be a trainer on the topic of drug and alcohol addiction. So I've, been, I've trained um, doctors at UCSF, I've trained um, police officers, social workers, um, I teach part-time at Fresno State in criminology of all departments, right? Um, that's where he places me. And so I'm, 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 I'm uh, you know, been able to give this, these uh, trainings, but I really wanted to come back into the church and, and talk to the people of God about this issue. So I approached Todd Harris, and I'm like, hey, and he's like, that's a fantastic idea. Let's go approach Clovis Hills and see if they'll host a, a, a workshop. Well, they did. We're hosting a workshop on December 4th um, from 9 to 12, and it's going to be really amazing. What I want you guys to know that some of you don't may not know is everybody knows that we have addiction issues in Fresno County. It's a major issue here, right? But many of you probably don't know that 1 in 10 are addicted. One in 10, they estimate, okay? 90% of our child welfare cases are drug involved at the front end. And drug, drug overdose here is second only to natural causes, okay? It's a major problem, and so everybody's impacted, and so um, on that day, if you're interested, you wanna come, Jesus wants to reach these people. Anybody in recovery here? Okay, bunch of people in recovery here. God wants to reach these people, you know, and this knowledge it will help you do that. It'll help you do that. So I hope that you guys all come, and uh, thank you for letting me share my story this morning. Where are my recovery people at? It's like, a, yeah, all back there. All the back row people, listen, love it, love them. Um, you know, I want to, um, there's a phrase it's an old phrase. Um, you know, I grew up surfing and skating and snowboarding and do, doing kind of board sports. We had been saying it for years, but then about a decade ago, it kind of caught on in popular culture with younger people. And um, it's just a phrase called, you know, they'll say, I'm just going to send it. Let me explain to you what that means. When you, when you send it, 
when you go full send on something. Um, you, you know, from a, from a board sports perspective, I'll just explain to you what I mean. If I'm about to drop in on a big wave, there's a lot of fear. There's like, oh gosh, oh gosh. And you have to commit. If you half go, you just get killed, right? If you're gonna jump something, you've gotta go full speed. If you go halfway, you'll just, boom, you'll hit the jump and, and eat out. So you've got to send it. That's the phrase. You've gotta go. There's moments in our life where God calls us to something that isn't easy, it actually might be scary, and you got to send it. And, and th this, this is what I want to talk to you about today. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering the Sinai Desert with Moses. And it was very hard for them. But here's what happens. When you do something over and over and over every day for 40 years, you get used to it. It becomes habitual. It becomes what you do, what you're used to. That's how many of you, when COVID hit and we, we weren't meeting live in church for a while, it was, you know, it was, it was a sad thing. Um, and then you came back and many of you went right back to your same seat on Sunday morning here. Even people are like, I'm artsy, don't put me in a box, sitting in the same seat every week. This is how the human brain works, that's why. We like patterns, we like, doing, we like things being familiar, even if we are out of the box, it's how our brain works. So Moses ends up, that because of the sin of the Israelites, the Israelites, that generation that wandered the desert, don't get to go into the promised land, the land that God had promised them. And Moses, God, God brings Moses to Mount Nebo, which is in modern day Jordan. I have a picture of it, I believe. Emma, can you put that up? Mount Nebo. There it is. That's the mountain where Moses, God shows him the promised land. That valley beneath you is the Dead Sea, Jordan River Valley of, of Israel. And it was the promised land. And God showed it to Moses, but he said, you will not go there. And Moses ends up dying. But God takes the mantle of leadership from one group, from one generation, and he hands it to the next generation. And now that generation has to go into the promised land and take it. And here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah, they got to go into the promised land and God promised to them. So they went and they got it. It was easy. It's like going to the supermarket and get me some bell peppers. Listen, they didn't just walk in, take it, swipe a card and walk out. They had to go to war. They had to physically take this land. It was scary. This is not a warring people. They wandered the desert for 40 years. Previously, they were slaves for 400 years. So this is where this story takes off in Joshua chapter one. And I got five points and I don't know how much time I got, so I doubt I'll get to all five, so don't worry about it. But number one is this, you need to know something about this story and it teaches you and I something. Number one, everything on earth has a life cycle. Everything on earth has a life cycle. Every, you know, I tell you all the time, I'm just here to encourage you, but you're all going to die. Right? We're, we're all going to die. Like, um, and, and it's an amazing thing. But even churches have a life cycle. Last weekend, I spoke um, at a church that we helped plant in uh, San Jose, California called Campbell. During our Focus 2020 um, uh, it's called Eden is the church in Campbell, California. During Focus 2020, we helped plant that church. Well, I spoke there four years ago when they launched. Well, they're moving into an old Baptist church that had died. They have no more members left. And it was given to them for free, paid for. So now Eden is moving in, 
right? So even churches have life cycles, if you think about it. You know, my, my mentor, John Wooster, he had said to me once, he said, you know, every church has a life cycle. He goes, when churches are young, they're like little children and their job is to grow. They need to grow. And then when churches get, you know, in, into, into the uh, next phase of life, their job is to reproduce, right? You know, Clovis Hills is 30 years old two weeks ago. We are in our prime birthing years. We need to have lots of babies. Does that make sense? And then at a certain point, Clovis Hills, the hills as a, as a movement, will probably move into its grandparents' phase. And what that means, grandparent, being a grandparent is God's reward for not killing your children. Amen, grandparents. You get to spoil the babies. We're going to spoil the babies that we planted. We're going to help them reproduce, if that makes sense. And this is the life cycle in God's kingdom. Everything has a life cycle in it. Jesus, when he wrote or when he spoke to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. You get to the end of the Bible, Jesus is talking to these seven churches in Turkey. None of those churches exist today. They all had a life cycle. They lived, they died. There's other churches now. In, in that. Not a lot of churches in Turkey today. But those churches lived and they died. Everything has a life cycle. And even in your life, there are seasons in your life that come and this is going on and then God, if you're following Jesus, God is always calling you higher and closer to him. See, the Bible talks about how we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there's this process that you just keep walking toward the light and it gets brighter and the world gets clearer and you begin to see the world the way God sees it. And here's the, 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 the cool part is it never ends. It's not like, a, oh, I arrived. I'm officially, I see the world the way God does. No. No, he made the stinking thing. So, the other thing that happens in this story and that we can apply to ourselves is that God calls us to live a life of faith. You, you have to understand this. Um, I, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm gonna read Joshua 1, 1 and 2 first and then we'll go to number two. I'm totally screwing with our graphics girl right now. Joshua 1, 1 and 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now, th this is what I'm talking about. To do that, they had to have faith. And that leads me to number two. You've got to live a life of faith. If you are a believer in Jesus, God has called you to faith. Look, look, look what it says right here in verse three through five. I love it. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Everyone stomp your foot, even in the other campuses right now. Stomp those feet. Listen, oh, you guys are good. I'd like three at nine o'clock, but listen. I will give you every place where you're, you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So here's the, the thing I, I want you to understand about faith. See, faith, some, some of you, got, the way God has wired you, um, 
you are more intellectual, you're more kind of linear, the way, and there's nothing wrong with being that way. That's how God wired your brain. And you, you kind of operate from facts-based and, and all of that. And, um, you know, sometimes the longest journey that you make in your life, Pastor Todd always talks about this, is from your head to your heart, right? And then there's a whole nother group of you in the room that you are more heart than head. That you, you're more intuitive, you feel it, you, you sense things um, quicker than other people. And the danger is you can be all head and no heart and, and, and you never make that journey. And the other danger is you can be all heart and you are acting like a fool. So, so the journey from head to heart is a long one. And depending on how you've been wired, you have to make that journey, right? But that's not faith. The journey from here to here is not faith. And the journey from your heart to your head is not faith. See, when faith actually happens is when it turns into action. So I, I, want, I want you to understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. That in, in your life, some of you, you felt Jesus and you knew Jesus was Lord and, and, and you, you, you received him. And then you went and you started studying God's word. You started learning about him. You started learning all the facts and you, you, you were going. That's how the average human believes. It's sociology, it's psychology, it's an order of needs, it's all that. But some of you, you come from another perspective where you knew about Jesus you went to church your whole life and then there was a moment where it spoke to your heart and that's great, but it's not faith until you've acted it out. So I love this about the Israelites because they understood it and they had all kinds of just things they would do to remind them of what God had promised them and what God had shown them. Right? So when he says to the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot. The Israelites, um, Joshua and the Israelites, they cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And the first place they have to go to war at, the first place they got to go is Jericho. Joshua and the bottle of Jericho, if you're a VeggieTales fan. So before they would go to war, they would always, their armies, the armies of the Lord would camp at a, they called it, it's a Hebrew word called a Gilgal. Everyone say Gilgal. That was not bad. Gilgal is a Hebrew word for encampment of the Lord. And they would camp before they went to war, you know, and, and then they, they would worship and then they would go take the land. Here's the interesting thing. They found 13 of the Israelite encampments now. These are 4,000 year old excavations. I'm just gonna show you one of them. This is the one by the city of Jericho. This is the Gilgal. What shape is that in? Anyone know? I will give you every place where you set your, show the next one, Emma. Go to the next one. Every place where you set your foot. See, God didn't give them the promised land because they built their encampment like a shoe and like a sandal. He gave it to them because he had promised it and he, it, God is who he says he is. They built that to remind themselves of who God is. This is why we come to worship, to remind ourselves of what Jesus, who, who Jesus is to us. To, to spur each other on, to inspire one another, to hold each other accountable to all of, those, all of those things. And see, God has called you to live a life of faith. And part of the way you live a life of faith is number three, you devote yourself to God and his word. Because look at um, what it says in verse seven and eight of this passage. He says to him then, he says, so be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. See, part of this life of faith is not just knowing that Jesus is Lord or coming to church and all my life and you've been faith and singing and tearing up and all that. Those are all good things. But it's when you put the word of God in you and when you put the word of God in you, then that, that, that's an act of faith. But really it becomes faith is when you begin obeying it. Right? When you go from here to here outward to obeying it in your life. And I'll give you a great story. Last week I preached at that church, Eden. Awesome church. Uh, young, super hip. Like way, I was way too old to be preaching there. But I'm just going to send it, right? So I got up there and I went for it. And the, the, I had preached there four years ago. And the pastor, is uh, Daniel, they're raising $150,000 between November and January um, because they're moving into this old dilapidated Baptist church and they're going to sink half of it into the church and then they're going to give the other 75000 away to church planning in the Bay Area. That's pretty cool. Like that's, a, that's faith. So I went and I preached and Daniel was like, hey, can you ch- inspire people and challenge them to, to give toward this, this thing we're doing? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll do that. So I, I got up and I just talked about how every Christian has a next step in their life. That God is always calling you higher. For some people, it's I've got to begin to make a habit in my life of reading God's word. And I always remind people, you know, because you might get inspired like, that's what I think God's calling me to do that. Tomorrow, two hours of reading the Bible. Don't do that. You won't do that. You'll spend two minutes and get distracted and feel guilty and not do it again. But you can do two minutes. And you can work your way to two hours. You'll be blessed if you do that. But maybe your next step is trusting him with something. I met a woman today. She's serving in our tandem ministry, our special needs ministry for the first time. She took that step of faith and said, no, I'm gonna, I I don't even know how to do this, but I just feel God's calling me to it. I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna learn how to do this ministry. But I challenge them specifically about giving. And I, I do believe this. One of, one of the toughest parts of discipleship, and, and not to be sexist, but I find it is harder for men than women even as a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years, is trusting God with our finances. See, we know God provides for us. We sense it, we feel it. But like to trust him with our finances is a scary thing. And I just shared that. And I said, some of you, God is calling you to that next thing. And it might be, you know, to, to give toward this for the future thing. And I just kind of made a joke and I go, and you guys are all in San Jose. You don't need another Tesla, come on. It wasn't like, put your hand on the wallet and buy a pastor a Tesla. It wasn't that. It was just, I just kind of flippantly said it. So then uh, Pastor Daniel called me Monday morning. He's like, hey, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta talk to you. I gotta tell you a story. I'm like, yeah, cool. He goes, I was having breakfast with this guy because he wanted to know more about our capital campaign. And I just, he goes, you know, and I had announced Sunday, we had a matching gift. Someone gave 50,000 and they'd match it. And we were so stoked. He goes, and I sat down with this guy and the guy began to tell me a story 
um, which by the way, I recorded. Um, I, he doesn't go to our church, I cheated. But anyways, he, he goes, I, he's telling me a story about how he started coming to Eden about four years ago and um, he came to Christ there and he said, there was this guy, he was like a guest speaker. I don't know who he was, um, but he told a story and I remember the story because it was me. He told a story about this woman. He said it, this woman was in his church and every week he'd see her and she'd be crying during music or he'd say something and she'd start crying. And then he just assumed she was a Christian. And then one Sunday she walked up to him after church and she said, I I'm really confused. What the hell's going on with me? I cry every time I come to this place. I don't even believe in God. And I said, oh, that's really simple. Your soul knows there's a God for a fact. And it knows and feels that it, you're feeling God's love. And your soul is waiting for your brain to catch up. And once your brain catches up to your soul, you're gonna make the decision to follow Jesus because he's come for you. His goodness is chasing after you. And she did. So that guy goes, that haunted me. He goes, I'm an engineer, I'm about the facts, I'm about all that, but I was always feeling it. And I realized it was my soul waiting for my brain to catch up. And over the last four years, my brain's been catching up and this makes sense to me now. So he comes to Jesus and my friend Daniel's, Pastor Daniel's just stoked. He's like, that's such a cool story. I've stole that story from Sean and used it a million times. So he goes, and that next place in my life, to be honest, Daniel, has been my pocketbook. And he goes, and I don't need a Tesla either. And he slides a $50,000 check across him. He goes, match the other guy's 50,000. See, here's what happened to that guy. He went from here to here, he made that journey. And actually he probably made the journey from here to here and they connected, but then he acted it out. That was when faith happened. For some of you guys, I don't have time to get further into this story, but I got to tell you this. God tells Joshua three times in 11 verses, be strong and courageous. Do you know why? Because a life of faith is not always easy. That God, if you're following Jesus, he's going to call you to greater things. He's going to call you higher. He's going to call you stronger. And times it will be fun. It'll be exuberating. And times it will be frightening. And sometimes you will trip along the way. Sometimes you will wander because you're scared of that. All of those things will happen. But here's what I want you to know. God, if you're a believer in Jesus, God is calling you higher. And this morning, I don't think... If you're here today and you're, you don't know it, where you stand with Jesus, I don't think it's a mistake you were here today. See, the Bible says that God knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. He had your life set apart and God made you, he loves you. He made you to be in a relationship with him. Every human is made to be in a relationship with his maker. But the problem is our sin has separated us from him. And what happens is that, that we, you know, we, we look to all kinds of other things to try and fill this void in our life because we don't have a relationship with our maker. You know, M Michael talked about it, that, that he went to drugs and because of trauma in his life and, and, and that, that the, the thing that, that really put it all together was when he came to Jesus and his sins were forgiven. And then all of that hurt, all of that pain in his life came back together when he decided to send it to Jesus. Jesus. 
So for some people, it may not be drugs and alcohol, but you may be like, oh, if I could just meet that significant other, then I'd be happy. Or, or if I could just dump my current significant other and meet a, that one, then I'd be happy. Oh, if I could lose 10 pounds, if I could lose 50 pounds, if I got that better job, if I got the Tesla, if I got this, if I got that. And here's the thing, you may get those and you'll find that it's equally empty because you were made to know Jesus. And there's a point in your life where you've got to move from head to heart or heart to head to outward, like, no, I'm in. You've got to take that act and it takes courage. One of the great promises of the Bible is be strong and courageous. This morning, if you've never received Jesus, I want to give you some good news. The Bible says this in John 1.12, but as many as received him, that if you receive him, as many as received him to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. But you have to make that decision. You have to send it. So in a moment, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to send it, to take what you your brain has told you and what your heart has told you and put it into action in an act of faith. And we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you've never received Christ before, or maybe today was a, a homecoming, there's an older gentleman that came forward in the last service and he could barely walk, but he's like, I'm getting a light bulb. I'm coming down. I'm gonna tell the world I'm with Jesus. I'm coming back. He sent it, full sin. But for some of you, today's today. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. Why would you turn down such a love, such a purpose, what you were created for? But it takes that act of courage. It takes that act of faith. You gotta send it. Some of you, you're Christians. That's awesome. But you know, God's calling you higher. You're like, oh, I'm glad he's talking to the non-Christian. No, I'm talking to you too. God's calling you higher. There's probably a next step in your faith that you've been putting off. It's time to send it. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Wherever you're at, whatever room you're in, whatever campus, I want you to pray with me.